Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Sea Glass Blue by Mal Forbes on AO3. Rating General Audiences. Chapter 2. It's okay, she says on the bed in the motel room, lying on her stomach and hiding half of her face with a pillow. Her hands are like paws in front of her lips. The light is dim, like a sunset without the glare, like the time as children when one knows to head home. Although he said they could stay in Boston, maybe get a room with a big bathtub at a luxury hotel. She said no. She wanted something normal. No cockroaches, but something normal nonetheless. He carried her suitcase in. It's half on top of a stand, bright orange pill bottles peeking out amongst the uncharacteristic floral dresses. You can. The sheets smell like bleach. When trucks pass outside, light flashes in through their thin curtains and highlights her face. He swears that he's never seen so much of her eyes in all the time that they've known each other, as he has while changing the audiobook tapes in the car, watching her stare at him from the passenger seat. She brought her own pillow because she doesn't want to get blood on any others. She's leaned it against the passenger side door and closed her eyes on the interstate, and he drove slower than usual because he didn't want to jostle her. So he lies down beside her. It's supposed to be easy. Reaching over, he turns off the lights, the switch right above the one bedside table, her week-long pill case, and a glass of water waiting for morning there. On his side, he faces her in bed, and she faces him, and she looks down at their hands so that she doesn't have to look at him directly, and their left ring fingers match. No one in Maine wants to rent a cottage to newlyweds in early April. It's not the right season. Every listing he called said, We're not open just yet. Can you wait until June? But he couldn't wait until June, so he called someone else, went through the same explanation. My wife is immunocompromised, so we need the place to be as clean as possible, and we need to be there as soon as possible, and I'll pay any price for it, absolutely any price. And when he managed somewhere far outside of Portland and right on a rocky beach, he went to her apartment and knocked as many times as he could to get her to come to the front door, and had it all been a movie, he would have watched her open the door in her bathrobe, then wrap an arm around her waist so that he could lift her up and spin her around, and tell her where they would spend their honeymoon. Though he first thought of Nova Scotia, she said her doctors didn't want her out of the country. So Maine. No planes. Just a stopover in rural Massachusetts, a midway point for the ride. There's a diner a few doors down. He'll walk her over tomorrow, and they'll take their time with breakfast. Yes, have coffee with lots of milk. Order French toast with powdered sugar and extra bacon on the side. In the evening, they'll be at the cottage. And he'll let them take their time, so long as they don't miss the sunset. She falls asleep before him. In some ways, it's a burden to share a bed with someone, not a pleasure. If he moves, he fears he'll wake her. But it's horrible to stay so still for so long, especially when he can't sleep. But he can see her eyelashes in the dark, and her cheek is squashed against her own pillow. And she's checked the room when they arrived to make sure that there were plenty of tissues. Had there been a couch here, even a van, he would have taken that instead. Let her sleep soundly without him. The day of the wedding, he almost tenses at the word wedding. Not because he dislikes it, but because it feels so strange and unreal. As if it never really happened, even though he remembers it so easily and comfortably. They had a makeshift reception at her apartment, just cutting the cake with her mom and then sharing slices with the gunman after her mother left. If anything, 
It felt more like a funeral than a wedding reception. So many questions tiptoed around, everything too urgent and human to be a celebration. But between guests, she grabbed part of her slice with her bare finger and pressed the cake against his face unexpectedly, and he looked at her with surprise, and she laughed in an inward way that made her shoulders move. It's what we're supposed to do, she said, raising her eyebrows in mock innocence. Right? So he took from his own slice and smeared frosting over her cheek and listened to her laugh again. That warm and amazed laugh. He hadn't heard it in so long that he almost felt as if he could cry. But he couldn't cry right then. Not as she shoved cake in his face, had to stand on tiptoe in order to do so. He wanted to kiss her, but wanted to get on his knees and press his face against her legs, begging her to stay just a little bit longer. But in the end, all he did was spend a night on her couch and then make her tea in the morning. And when he asked if she would like cake for breakfast, he wanted to cry because she said yes. He watches as she sheepishly smiles at a plate of French toast the next morning, wondering when these beautiful moments will stop making him nauseous. By the time they finish the audiobook, they're on the main road of the sprawling town, fields to their left and dense forests to their right. There are roads into the forest every few miles, dark dirt paths with driftwood signs spelling out which family lives this way nailed to a tree. Out here, there are very few vacation rentals, because the houses are too far from Portland to have the touristic appeal and too close to wildlife to compel families. The combination of off-season and out there means that they'll be staying in a local summer house with only a wood stove to help keep them warm. And the owner, though he sent over cleaners to ensure that the molders, he cringes, needs were met, wants them both to update him when they leave on the stay of the house, particularly how far the tides come in and whether or not the recent storms have turned the paintings hung on the wall crooked. When Scully rolls down her window, he notices the scent of the sea. What sounds good for dinner, he asks, after he passes one of the dirt roads that isn't for them. She's leaning against her pillow on the car door, the position looking uncomfortable. When he glances at her, he sees that her eyes are closed, but knows she isn't sleeping. Something light, she says, eyes still closed. Something simple. At home? Yeah. She pauses. I... I can cook for you, he says, and she snorts an involuntary laugh, and he takes his eyes off the road to watch. But really, I could. Or you could pick something up, she says, and she looks to him, giving him a look. It's not annoyance, but a strange kind of little joy. He turns back to the road before he can call it love. Or I could pick something up, he echoes, and he thinks of general stores with dusty shelves, because only the locals come around here nowadays. And he thinks of living on Martha's Vineyard and how the boathouse closest to his home had an ice cream freezer and he and his sister would bring over 50 cents to get a blue bunny bar that they would split, one quarter in each of their small hands. The teenager working the place rubbing their quarters on his shirt and pretending to inspect them for counterfeiting before saying, it's all good, and letting them pick out a strawberry shortcake. If she had one more summer, he would make it count. He would bring her out on the ferry and show her where he grew up, all the ugly and beautiful parts of it, all of the rich brats who lived there year-round, all of the preps that came in for the season. If she had more time, he would wait for the hottest day and take her to the beach, the two of them reading books while lounging on towels, her borrowing his sunglasses because she forgot hers, and forcing him to rub sunscreen on her back so that she wouldn't burn, but then unclasping the top of her swimsuit so she wouldn't have tan lines. 
He would buy her a chocolate vanilla swirl, and when she asked for the kitty size, would insist on a small at minimum, and he would kiss her sticky just so that she would yell at him, and he would build an outdoor shower for them to share, secluded but not very, her bare body under half sun, half moon, her hair slicked back, her big blue eyes looking up at him. He wanted her to collect seashells that he could line the windowsills of his apartment with, taking the tape off for good, leaving something better in their wake. He wanted to wake up and see her there even when she wasn't with him anymore. But he doesn't have one more summer. He just has this spring. A shitty spring, all things considered. And there might be frost on trees in the morning. And he'll need to keep putting fire into the wood stove. Instead of seeking out warmth, they went north and found cold instead. When he finds the name associated with their cottage at the beginning of the next dirt road, he slows down and turns. No signal necessary, because he hasn't seen another car for half an hour. These roads aren't mowed. There are two dirt wells for wheels and tall grass in the center. The trees on either side so dense that he needs to turn his headlights on in order to see. It still takes them ten minutes to get to the cottage after the turnoff. And once he's parked, he tells her to wait there. Says he'll bring her luggage in. And she insists that she can do this herself. That it's all right. She achingly gets up. She can do this herself. But he's already brought her suitcase in. And she's leaning against the car because her last round of chemotherapy is still too new. And he wants to carry her over the threshold, but won't because that would only make her feel worse. Grab your pillow, he says, so that she doesn't feel helpless. And the car keys, too. He unlocks the cottage using a key beneath the welcome mat, and then lets her through the door first. Because the place hasn't been occupied, it's as cold as the outside when they first enter, the refrigerator off, and the cabinets empty. The place is small, the little kitchen blending into the television-free living room with its long couch for him and the wood stove for both of them. The furthest wall holding shoved-in books to its greatest shelving capacity. Paperbacks, back broken from use. To the left of the books is the doorway to one of the bedrooms with its attached bath. The paintings on the wall are, of course, seascapes or lighthouses, and the big windows above the couch have blue handmade curtains pulled over them. Between the kitchen and the couch is a glass door, leading to a porch facing the ocean. The owner told Mulder that was the best spot, that a sunset pair of lobsters from the pond down the road, newspaper around them, unwrapped on the porch's table, was the most romantic thing to do in the area. And he said it as if that were complimenting the place. Mulder wishes he could make her hot soup and serve it to her with homemade bread out there, draping his jacket over her shoulders while she looked up at the stars. She leaves her pillow and the keys on the couch, then presses open the glass door, steps onto the porch, and he follows her because he needs to, and she doesn't stop at the porch. She goes to the steps down to the beach, and this beach isn't like the vineyard. No, it's rocky and grayish-blue, the solar glare above them just starting to turn to sunset. And she finds a large rock and stops short, stepping up on top, looking taller, looking out at the sea. Though there are other houses nearby, most all of them are empty, and they are probably not going to see fishers or lobster boats while they're here, given the season. So it's just the two of them. Two people on this long beach. Two people looking out at the endless horizon. Two people dwarfed by things so much more important than them. Turning her head halfway towards him, chin down, she says, You mentioned dinner? He did mention dinner. He needs to learn to cook. No, he needs to learn to make a bed the right way first. No, 
He needs to learn how to ask to sleep in her bed before that. He's getting ahead of himself. If he had more time, he would learn how to keep her. If it weren't futile, he would do better. He would make her pancakes on Saturdays, using real buttermilk and everything, and not burn a single one. And he'd buy her real syrup and insist that she add some because he bought real syrup. He would add chocolate chips and slice strawberries on Valentine's Day. He would have a Valentine's Day with her. Absolutely any Valentine's Day at all. He would leave a dozen roses on her nightstand and another dozen on her desk at work. And he would sneak a chocolate box into her lunch and buy her pearls because she likes them more than diamonds. He would do everything right. If he had more time with her, he would do every last thing right. She looks up at him, silently tells him that she'd like to be left alone for now. So he nods in understanding, turns back towards the cottage, and climbs back up the steps. Opens and closes the glass door. But before he can look through the owner's binder of local attraction, before he can find them a place to get dinner from, he looks back out at the beach to find her. And she's sitting on that one rock, and the sky's just started turning pink at the clouds. He watches her shoulders go up slowly, and then fall in an instant, a sigh out of necessity. When he sought out a place to stay, he made sure there would be a couch for him to sleep on, but in the back of his mind he thought, well, maybe I can stay in the bed with her. Maybe she'll want me to. Maybe that's something she wants to do. Maybe I'll be comfortable sleeping next to her. Maybe we'll never be on this couch at all. But he watches her on the beach. He knows that he's ten years ahead of himself, and though he doesn't have long here, doesn't have much time with her, he needs to go slowly anyway. For now, he'll pick up dinner, but he'll pick up bread, milk, and eggs too, so he can make more French toast in the morning. He'll start there. She can have the sunset in the bed, but he gets breakfast. The general store ten miles away has hot sandwiches, he calls to confirm. He looks back at her once more, still sitting there, dwarfed and shadowed by fiery skies above, and the doors are unlocked because why lock them? And he's put wood in the stove and left one of his jackets on the couch for her in case she comes in cold. When he picks up the car keys from the top of her pillow, he hesitates, seeing old bloodstains on the case, seeing why she insisted on bringing this one linen. And for a moment, he thinks about putting his face to the pillow and seeing what it feels like to rest the way she rests. After ten minutes on the dirt road, he turns right on the main road, and he watches the sunset over the horizon, and wonders if she's feeling what he feels right now, just in another spot, somewhere close, but somewhere far away. He brushes his teeth in the one bathroom, and takes a scratchy wool blanket and a spare sheet from the linen closet, before heading to the couch that evening. She's seen on the bed, and wearing flannel, and picking pills out of her organizer pale pink polish, and fluorescent tablets contrasting colors, telling her which drug is which. As he settles the sheet over the couch cushions, fluffs the pillow, he thinks, I could ask. 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 When he turns around to grab the blanket, she's standing in the bedroom doorway, one palm against the jam, books to her right, and crackling wood stove to her left. She's flushed because it's so warm to stand right there. He wants to take the ice cubes he set in the freezer tray and gently press them to her cheeks. Though he knows what she's going to say before she speaks, he acts like he doesn't so that she'll have to say the words, so that he'll have to listen.
If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there.